Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you? Cade, I've asked it on here before. Who are we firing? <laughs> I don't know. Who I are we firing? <laughs> well, you and I both picked OSU again in a game that they were not competitive in, so it may be almost got again. OU score right. Yeah, you. Yeah, you were. You were pretty close, weren't you? <laughs> So, 27, 28. So for that reason, you're not fired. But I would say we're definitely both <laughs> in a probationary period. Oh, my gosh. I mean, how do you even start with, with with that game? I mean, not to jump right into it, but it's it's the elephant in the room. It's, um, you know, Bedlam, I, I'll, I'll start by saying this. Bedlam brings out the best and the worst in um, Oklahoma State football brings out the best and the worst in Oklahoma State fans. Um, it is overall a really unenjoyable time that I look forward to every year. That's probably the best yes. way I can say it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And this season, it felt a little odd, you know, just because there's been so many injuries on Oklahoma State's side. We haven't really seen them play a super efficient great game on offense in a while and so coming into this one you know you and i both picked oklahoma state in close ones but i i wasn't super confident in that pick especially with the line how it was and you come this game oklahoma wins 28 13 but you know you look at the stats and i know we'll get into it more oklahoma state almost has 500 total yards of offense after ou's 28 point onslaught in the first quarter they don't score again yeah. and have, I think, 69 yards in the second half. Is that what it was? Yeah. yeah 69 yeah. total yards in the You're second exactly half. So, right. And the thing is, you know, Mike Gundy hit this on his radio show. When you're up 28 to zero, you don't really have to go super conservative. Like you don't just have to run the football. You can kind of do whatever you want because you're up four touchdowns. Now, if OSU were to score, or score quickly or something like that, then you can go a little bit more conservative. But when it's 28-3 at halftime, yeah. unless you're the Atlanta Falcons, you're not really that worried about it. So, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it was it was a very, very strange game because on rewatch, and I ended up rewatching this game twice, which I normally try to do, but I almost thought about not doing for this one. But you go back and rewatch it and after the first quarter – it looks like Oklahoma State, you know, pretty much controlled the game. So it was just really, really weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at the win probability of this game that ESPN puts out, it's essentially a straight decline to OU 100% and it barely ever wavers after like uh, three, three minutes of game time. And so ultimately that makes this a really easy breakdown. Um, I, I will also say, Dustin, that like, the the fact that Oklahoma State, you know, you said over 500 yards or nearly 500 yards of offense. I mean, 
is this the game that like you look at Spencer Sanders and you're like, I literally don't know what this team would be without you because turnovers aside, he didn't play well. I'll, I'll just, I'll say that right now. He didn't play well, but I don't know what Oklahoma state would have done with a Gunner Gundy or a Garrett Rangel in that type of situation with the way the offensive line played, you know, we've, we've talked all about the injuries, but the fact of the matter is that group had their worst performance of the year. Objectively, I would say it's, it's right there in the worst time. And I also said on the podcast last week, Oklahoma state could win this game in multiple ways, but the one way they lose it is by turning the ball over. And I mean, they, they threw two picks in the first quarter. So you're, you're down 28 to nothing in the blink of an eye. And for the second time in a row in Norman, you give up at least 21 first quarter points in a game that is otherwise competitive. And so, you know, you start asking uh, like questions at that point is like, okay, well, why, why in this game every year, every other year is Oklahoma state surrendering that type of first quarter avalanche? I don't know. I don't have the answer for you, but ultimately that second half and really full three quarter performance from the defense was as good as they've played as a unit all season. And it's a, it's disappointing that the offense couldn't really ever make it again. Yeah. And what you said about Spencer Sanders kind of being the offense, even though he didn't play well. So I have, if you take out the stacks to kneel down the intentional grounding. So the yards gained on the ground, I've got 148 yards gained. 51% of those yards came from Spencer Sanders and 42% of those total yards were on his scrambling. So because no one's open downfield, he's getting pressured. He's having to take off and run with the football. So along that, and then, you know, his 381 yards passing that pretty much the entire on 60, 67 passing attempts. That's a career high. I mean, and it only happens because, Oklahoma State cannot run the football. I mean, we've talked about it at times this year, but that was that was all you needed to see to be <laughs> firmly in the camp of Oklahoma State can't run the football. Like right now, they just can't. Yeah, and they basically, once they obviously once they got down big, they pretty much completely went away from it. It was yeah. the highest percentage of 10 personnel used all conference play, 46% 10 personnel. So, Pretty much a 50-50 split between 11 and 10. A little bit of 12 and 23 thrown in there. And on first down, they threw it 28 times compared to 16 runs. <laughs> it, it just turned it, it turned into... And I know some of that stuff is RPOs and pre-snap reads. And OU, actually, we talked about it on the preview pod. They've used a little bit of three down and four down and haven't really found an identity. Well, they ended up going pretty heavy three down as that game went on because... They knew Oklahoma State couldn't run the football. They had to pass it, especially when you're down 21 to 28 points. And Oklahoma State's offense was actually fairly effective as the game went on. Every single down, first, second, and third, they they averaged over four yards per play. Like I said, you know, almost 500 yards of total offense. And if you take out the sacks and the kneel down. 5.3 yards per carry on the ground. A lot of that coming from Spencer Sanders, though. So, like I said at the beginning of the pod, it was just a really, really odd game because it felt like the offense moved the football, but then you get into the red zone, you turn it over, you take a field goal instead of a touchdown. It's just not the way 
you want to, you know, see that game turn out. I think what's hidden in that though is is the fact that OU has six sacks, 13 quarterback hurries. And t- 13 quarterback hurries on 67 dropbacks, you're like, okay, well, that's not too bad. But it felt worse than that at the t- at, in the moment because everything else, he never had time to let a, a route develop downfield. Everything was underneath, crossing routes, dig routes, everything like that. And so ultimately, it really felt like the offense was rendered, you know, to that kind of six to eight yard mark, and that's it. And then when they tried to go deep, you saw Spencer Sanders and his wide receivers not on the same page multiple times in this game. We've, we saw it earlier in the year and in this game. Receivers running a hitch when, when Spencer thinks they're running the go. You actually put this on the Twitter thread. That's a miscommunication on both of their parts. Both of them need to be on the same page. It's really, though, as you said on the wide receivers, to know what to do in that situation. And so I think you point back to potentially the lack of practice with, with Spencer Sanders in that group, I think they even called that out on the broadcast. So ultimately, it just it it came off as a you know as you before we kind of dive into the offense and the defense. That first quarter onslaught came off as maybe unprepared on on the defensive side of the football and on the offensive side of the football. Unable to run the ball is 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 a huge deal, and I think it's the Achilles heel for this season. Yeah, and I've got some stats, Kate, to go along with those great points that you made. Downfield, so yards 20-plus, passes 20-plus yards down the field. Sanders was one of nine. Then between the hashes, zero to 10 yards, he's six of 13 with two picks, where he's been extremely efficient all year. And he was pressured on 40% of his total dropbacks. What OU was doing is they were using what we talked about on the Baylor preview podcast, that simulated pressure and that creeper. So it'll look like they're bringing six, seven guys, and then a linebacker will come, but one of the defensive linemen will drop. And Casey Dunn brought this up post-game. Those defensive ends for OU were dropping directly into the kind of slant pass to that inside receiver. We've seen Oklahoma State go heavy double slants and heavy RPO glance where the, the receivers running in that kind of deeper slant, that five yard slant. Spencer pre-snap based on the look thought, Hey, I've got the slant. Hey, I've got the quick hitch right here. And he was throwing it there no matter what, not even thinking, OU was going to drop that defensive end into that little kind of robber coverage underneath. And it took him, you know, about a full quarter to realize, hey, they're doing this almost every time they show this kind of simulated heavy pressure look. Reminded me a lot of the Jim Knowles defense from last season and the season yeah. before, where he would use a lot of those simulated pressures and creepers. Aranda does it, like I mentioned. But at the beginning, you know, that was really throwing him off. It led to the Bry- the Bryson Green slant, you know, I think Bryson Green needs to win that route, catch it. The throw was a little high, but I still he needs to get more separation there. But the guy was able to pick it because he was dropped into that little zone and just right. turned around and grabbed it. You saw almost two other ones get picked on throws ex- that I'm exactly like I'm explaining. So I think OU's game. I've got to give OU some credit because I think their defensive plan- game plan going in was really good, and it Casey Dunn 
it took him a while yeah. to adjust to it. It took Spencer Sanders as well. So it's not just on Dunn, but what Oklahoma State was doing early on offense was playing right into OU's hands. And I, I think you you can't just say it was on Dunn and Sanders. You got to give the OU defense some credit. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point, Dustin. There were, I know Spencer threw four total interceptions. There were many more that were in the hands of OU defenders and Oklahoma state was lucky to get out of those situations alive. But yeah, you're exactly right. It did feel like early on that OU really kind of knew exactly what Oklahoma state was going to try to do. And I think at that point, you know, I, I don't think we ever really talk a whole lot about you. You last week kind of for the first time went out and said, you didn't like the gameplay. And I'll say this multiple times if it appears that a defense knows what you're going to do maybe you've become a little predictable i'll i'll just just give me a second here i think there is a lot of talk from my gunny he's talked about this a lot the need to simplify not make mistakes from his young receivers on running the wrong routes you know as spencer sanders who's you know all of his good things involved he's thrown 40 career interceptions the most in a, in a quarterback's history at oklahoma state so you start to factor all of those things in, and I'm wondering, is this offense so simple to where even a defense in, in Oklahoma knows kind of where you're going with the ball and feels pretty comfortable with it? To, to Casey Dunn's credit, they did adjust later in the game, but early on, it absolutely felt like there was predictability. Oh, you kind of knew what was going on. Yeah, and I think that... I think that OSU probably knew what OU was going to come out and do. You know, they're down Jason Brooks due to yep. illness. He's missing the game. Preston Wilson's back, but he's obviously banged up. That's not the same Preston Wilson that that you and I have come to know throughout his OSU career. He he really struggled in this game in both run and pass. Still a good job getting up to the second level, but you could tell he was a he was a step slow. And then you've got Materko, who who has struggled this year as well in pass pro. And you're without Dom Richardson, your best pass pro running back. So what OU did is they brought the heat, manned up on the outside, for a lot of press coverage early, and then they kind of dropped back into some zone as they got the big lead. But a lot of press coverage early, trying to make OSU's outside receivers win their routes, which we haven't seen them consistently do. And then the pressure was too much for Oklahoma State to handle. You see Spencer get pressured a lot. They blitz, they flat out just blitzed five or more a lot as well. And it turned into Spencer Sanders maybe trying to make a play that he could have just thrown away. The receiver's not winning their route. So you get picked off. You talked about it already. Jaden Bray, he's that's a cover two look pre-snap. If it ends up not being cover two, that's fine. But you run the fade there. You do not run the hitch. Right. And he, he runs the hitch and Spencer throws because it's a timing route. It gets picked off. It looks like Spencer made a boneheaded play when really that's completely on Jaden Bray. So OU's just initial onslaught of pressure and press coverage really threw this offense off. And I think you see, you know, people want more Jaden Nixon. People want more Ali Gordon. Dom is out there because he is a smart running back. Yep. that knows how to pass protect and knows where the blitz is coming from, can kind of see what's going on, knows how to handle that sim pressure. And without him there, I thought Nixon did an okay job, but Gordon and Jackson really struggled to pass pro in their snaps. Yeah, I mean, no no question. It, it felt like the the issues were aplenty. Um, one of the things that 
things that stuck out to me was, you know, Oklahoma State at times had an, an even number situation or even a slight numbers advantage in the box. And if you can't run the ball on some of those looks, it's just not going to work out for you. And it really complicates things for Spencer Sanders when he's forced to drop back 67 times. Quite frankly, that amount of volume coming from him, you're you're going to get a couple of turnovers there. So I, I really think that the offensive line being in the shape it was due to injuries, setbacks, illnesses, all those things, complicates this situation uh, to a point where the Oklahoma State offense right now is Saturday's performance puts them like really at the back, you know, bottom two, maybe worst in the league right now offensively, just in terms of being able to generate anything. It, it felt like a struggle. I can't believe they had nearly 500 total yards of offense. I know several of that came on chunk plays, you know, a couple of plays, Braden Johnson over the middle, um, you know, Br- uh, Brennan Presley, That's a, that accounts for 120 yards, lots of missed tackles. So I know I'm being critical. I just, it's, it felt more like a 300-ish yard performance because of the volume of plays, the inefficiency in those volume, in that volume, and then they're able to make a couple of chunk plays that push that average up. Just, I walked away f- from that game feeling like I don't know how you run that back in 2023 with without some offensive line revamp or you know some transfer transfer portal additions up there there's got to be something different because that was um that was tough yeah and I think even along with the offensive line I thought you know Ollie he he showed he's a true freshman a ton of talent He's a big dude. I'm really excited to see what he can do at Oklahoma State. I'm really excited for his career. But when there were some little creases, yeah, that wasn't it. He struggled to hit them. He hesitated. He picked the wrong spot a couple of times. Seven carries for 13 yards, 1.9 yards per carry. You you just kind of see the youth there. And I thought Nixon overall. Yeah, I know 21 or 23 of his 37 came on one run, but I thought he had some decent runs. And then he has become a threat. In the screen game, the wheel oh, yeah. route game, the check down game, when he gets in space, that that's how he needs to be used. In plays I like totally that, I thought, I thought that was the one positive from the play calling and from the scheme, and just from Spencer Sanders' overall decision making. He was not afraid to, as the game went on, to quickly check it down to Nixon because it's like, hey, I don't want to take a hit. I've scrambled a lot already. Why don't I get it to Jaden Nixon, who is a track star? can make guys miss in space. So I thought that was the one positive probably from the running backs. But like you said, the offensive line struggled. I I think pretty much everybody had some issues in pass pro. And the thing, Cade, that stands out to me the most, going back to all of our offensive line conversations in the offseason, you know, we talked a lot of it. We talk a lot about the offensive line because we love those guys. Find that part of the game really interesting because it is. Jason Brooks, Gundy says in his presser that, he graded out as the top offensive lineman over the past three weeks. Yep. Hunter Woodard, who you and I think is the best offensive lineman. Preston Wilson, probably a close second when he's healthy. Why were you not playing Woodard and Brooks at guard to start the season? That's, yeah. <laughs> a great question, my, Dustin. And I know there was rotation in but brooks was mainly rotating in at tackle i just don't really understand 
why it took because obviously the coaching staff sees it now. They've graded out Brooks at this guard spot. Dundee said he did practice there some in fall camp. Mat- Materko has shown some good things, but in pass pro, I think he has been below average pretty much all season. It's just confusing to me why why that never really happened. And you know, maybe injury some things. Maybe they didn't want to start a guy that came in in the transfer portal because you know Gundy likes to reward the guys that have been in the system. But it just that's the one thing that kind of blows my mind personnel wise. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a coach, not saying I should be making these decisions or you should be making these decisions. I just want to, you know, that would be a question I would ask Gundy in a post game press conference. You know, not what are the why is the O line having run game issues? Why did you not start Brooks and Woodard when they were both healthy? We're three games into the season. Well, it's um, it's disappointing that last offseason we had numerous discussions about the interior offensive line for Oklahoma State. And you get to the 11th game of the season, and what's the main issue right now? The interior offensive line. They did not fix that, and that's a problem. They, they had opportunities, and they had somebody on the roster. They did not fix that. So I, I don't know the answer to the question of why didn't they do it. All I know is we talked about it on this podcast like three, four months ago and then beyond. This is not a new thing. When we when we talked about Prince Pines, we talked about Casey Collier. We talked about Queso Brooks, who I'm bringing Queso back. I'm bringing the cheese back. That's just what I'm doing. <laughs> we We talked about that as the fix for the interior offensive line. We didn't talk about the offensive line having issues abroad. It was interior and they still are there. So that that's frustrating to me. Yeah. And it just feels like the kind of something similar happened last season. You know, if you remember the first depth chart last season, you had Materko at left guard sills. All right. Left tackle sills at left guard, Godleski at center, Woodard at right guard and Springfield at right tackle. Springfield and Preston Wilson start kind of switching in and out at right tackle. And then Preston ends up beating him out. And he starts the remaining games after like game three or four, I believe at right tackle and at left tackle, they didn't trust Caleb Etienne yet. He needed a little bit. And, you know, we see the transformation in his body. So great call there, but Cole Birmingham ends up being the right left tackle, not due to injury, beating out Materko over there. So, that one wasn't even due to injuries. It was almost kind of like a musical chairs, like Gundy mentioned in his presser, making the wrong decision for the first game. And I feel like they did it again here. I feel like I would have gone Brooks and Woodard. And we kind of have seen that play out. I know, you know, Brooks was sick and Woodard's been hurt, but they weren't for the first six, seven games. Does does it not feel like it's been musical chairs up there since the COVID year and before? It's like the it offense, the offensive line that enters the season is it doesn't even look the same by the end of the year. And, you know, there's a lot of things that you can point to there. I'll just say it's been a problem for many years. And that alone is the problem. Yeah. And, I, you know, Kate, I put out some tables earlier on Twitter showing it was kind of confusing math the way I think I explained it, but <laughs> basically what I what I tried to do is took took every team in the Big 12's starting offensive line week one. Now I, I made some adjustments if there were ors on the depth chart and like a different guy started game two or somebody was out with injury game one. But basically, did your starting line how many of the total snaps did they play? 
Oklahoma State was last at 74%. Our friend Luke Stevenson pointed out that, you know, we were rotating in guys early on, basically through the first like five or six games. So that's a caveat there. But I went back and looked at 2021 and 2020, 82%. So it was 74%. That was our starters, what they played of the total snaps this season. It was 82% in 2020 and 77% in 2021. That Those percentages still would have ranked near the bottom of the Big 12 this year, and the 74% was dead last. And, Kate, if you go look, I'm not saying this directly correlates, but if you look at the win percentages, so the teams that were 88% of the total snaps from their starting offensive line week one or more had a 69% win percentage, and the teams that were 85% or less week one offensive line total snap starting – 38% 38% win percentage. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, it's And I know there's other factors in there because some of these teams that are near the top are like a Texas who is, you know, they have the great NIL deals. They're getting these four or five star offensive linemen. But I think there's a story there. And it, I know this year they rotated in the seven guys, but you've got to figure something out to keep these guys healthy. I know some of it's bad luck, but also – some of it is decision-making in these early games, like we pointed out to the 2021 season and this season. So I, this is an off-season topic. I just wanted to bring it up since I put that thread out earlier, but it, it just kind of has confused me pretty much all year. Well, here's here's the last thing I'll say about it, and I realize I'm going in on the offensive line here. And it's not it's not the players on the field. I, I, I think there's a philosophical question to be asked here. Oklahoma State has arguably some of the best skill talent in the big 12. You look at the wide receiver room, you look at the running back room. I would stack them up against Oklahoma and Texas today, not in terms of recruiting profile, in terms of on the field production, quarterback included. Everybody except the offensive line, I would say is big 12 caliber. You look at TCU, you look at Oklahoma, Texas, I would say Oklahoma state is there. They are not close on the offensive line. And I think entering the season, they could have been, but entering the season, they were banged up. And I don't, I don't really know how that's possible multiple years in a row, but it's been the reality is they are already banged up before they enter the year. And you never see this offensive line at full strength. So I'm, I'm not going to go in on them any further, but philosophically, is there a, a, a question to be answered on the, the way Oklahoma State recruits talent up front. I, I had this conversation with my dad, give him some credit here. A lot of these teams, I would I would point to Baylor as an example, feels like they recruit inside out. They're looking at the offensive line and saying, well, we can plug in a, you know, a three-star guy out of um, you know, Waco or out of Temple to play wide receiver for us, but we're going to focus on the offensive line. Oklahoma State has to do something differently, whether it's transfer portal, whether it's reallocating scholarships, there is a question to be answered there. Yeah. And I I agree with you completely. I don't know. Like you said, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if it's, if it's coaching, if it's recruiting some technique scheme style things, but yeah, something has to change because of all the kind of just random stats I just threw out and you know, this you and your dad's conversation, it just leads you to all these questions. So it, it's something that it's something that definitely has to be, be addressed in the off season, I think, and just kind of moving forward. But 
we'll see how it goes. That'll be something we'll definitely dive into as we did last season. We love talking offensive line. Um, Kate really left with the offense wide receiver wise. Brandon Presley had a great game. Yeah, I, I found it strange. That was his first time all season to go over a hundred yards. Yeah. That's surprising. It, it felt like a normal game for him though. Didn't it? He's the guy he's been the guy all year. Yeah. Yeah, you, that was a great call preseason. I thought Braden Johnson did well in his time back. Man, he just does not block very well out on the outside. <laughs> and I can never tell if it's effort or just he's not very good at it. I, I'm think, I'm leaning to, more towards he's just not very good at it. He's not the biggest guy. But uh, it is tough because, you know, Langston Anderson gets out there for his five or six snaps, and he tries to pancake dudes yeah. when there's a wide receiver screen or a run. So, it's just tough to watch, but I thought I thought he played well. I think he could have you know a, a nice day against West Virginia if they try to go man again. Maybe look for him down the field. We'll see. It didn't work out very well against OU. Outside of that, Cowboy backs. Owens went down with injury. Cassidy played a lot. Schultz got in there a little bit. They targeted them several times in this game, which this is two games in a row now that they've been targeted. But I think the... The issue I had, and I have had kind of the last several games, is it looks like the Cowboy backs do not know who to block on some of these zone read plays. And I know it's a split zone, and sometimes they're bluffing that initial block. But I think defenses have a line to where they're confusing the Cowboy backs. And I've seen this the past several games. So they end up not blocking anybody. And then Sanders or Gunner gets tackled. And it's... It's very confusing. I think they need to make some adjustments there in kind of the the technique of the cowboy back and who they're actually aiming for because it just looks like mass confusion, not just from Owens, from Cassidy and Schultz as well. So that's the one thing I think I would clean up there. I thought it was hilarious. They pass the ball like nine plays in a row and then they bring Cassidy in and run it twice. Well, it's like he comes on the field and it's like, well, I think they're going to run it probably. I mean, run it twice for three yards. So that, oh, you obviously knew that that's what they were going to do as well. (laughs) But that's really not too many big takes on the receivers. I I think Bray looks really rusty. I know Gundy said they're going to shut him down for the rest of the season. He'll get the red shirt. I definitely think he's he needs some more in-game reps in the non-con next year. Hopefully he can stay healthy because he's very talented, but he needs... He needs those in-game reps because yeah, he looked the, a little lost at times. No, no question, no question. I, I think he's been uh, obviously dealing with injuries, and and when he's played, he's been hurt. And I, I think shutting him down is the right call. We talked about it as a possibility. Get that red shirt last week. So I, I think it's the right call. Um, you know, I, I I'll say this: Braden Johnson had a really good game outside of the pass blocking. That was a you know, the yards after the catch were a, a nice, um, really was one of the only bright spots. He he had two so of the chunk, chunk plays, uh, maybe made the wrong cut a couple of times, but we'll, we'll give him, we'll give him a pass for that when you're, you're one of the only guys out there making a play. So I'll, I'll take what I can get at that point. Um, and I'll just, you know, to kind of wrap this up, Brennan Presley, has become, I would say, what John Paul Richardson is in terms of a safety blanket. Brennan Presley doesn't even have to be that because he's always open. Like, Brennan is always open. And so that's where Spencer is going. And so um, I felt good about that in the preseason. But uh, it has turned out the second leading receiver, though, in terms of catches for Oklahoma State this year, John Paul Richardson. 
So yeah, clearly he's been in, inside receiver is is the go to right now. Yeah, they've been great, and you know what. We'll see them again next season, so I'm really excited about that because I think they're probably the best slot receiver duo in the Big 12, and I don't even think that's a hot take that these guys are awesome. So we'll see them again, and I wish Brennan would have caught that. I know it wasn't completely on him. It wasn't the best throw, but if he catches that pass for a first down right before the interception, oh yeah, you're looking at a completely different game, but... Again, that wasn't the best throw. He probably still should have caught it. We've seen him miss a lot of balls high. He's a little bit shorter guy. doesn't have super long arms. thought he had a great game overall, though. And like you said, he does such a good job of finding the holes in the other team's zone defense. Well, speaking of defense, let's let's flip it over to that side of the football. Um, obviously, the first quarter is an absolute onslaught from Oklahoma. They're using wheel routes. They're using rub plays. Um, all sorts of things that you thought might happen. Maybe except feeding Eric Gray. That that ultimately is what Oklahoma goes with. Yeah, so they come out and throw, I think, 10 times on their first 12 plays. And no, sorry, eight of their first 10 plays were passes. We talked about all we talked about was Gray on the preview pod pretty much. Four of those eight I had as RPOs. And listening to Gundy on the radio show, it sounds like Oh, you came out like that because they saw something in the way Oklahoma State was aligning on film. And they got a pass read, basically, when you go back and watch, before the mesh. Gabriel is thinking pass pre-snap with how Oklahoma State's safeties and linebackers are lined up. And they end up going and adjusting that. It, it actually took a little while. They didn't fully adjust until halftime, but you saw the safeties adjust. You saw the linebackers widen a little bit. And then you see Oklahoma State playing a little bit tighter from the corner, so you can't get that hitch RPO. They're more at like four to five when we've seen them sometimes at like six to seven yards off the line of scrimmage. So they did make great adjustments to it. But that's it wasn't that Oklahoma came out and threw the ball all around they were getting looks on their RPOs to pass. Yeah. And it was it was due to I don't think poor scheme. It was just a good, you know, good looking out from OU to go with those RPOs early in their script. Well, and do you think that Oklahoma State at that point is is giving them a look knowing they might go into an RPO and they may be better suited to defend the pass. Like and yeah. and that that's that's subjective because we've seen the secondary struggle at times. We've seen them be great. Defensive line, though, you and I highlighted that as as the key to the game. Oklahoma didn't run it all that well. They held Eric Gray to under 100 yards. If I would have told you that last week, you would have probably said Oklahoma State's competitive in this game. But I would wonder if Oklahoma State gave them that look, kind of baiting them into the pass on the RPO, maybe thinking, well, we, we're not going to be able to do much against the run. I don't know. Just, just hypothetical. But anyway. No, it, I think it's a great call. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right. They really didn't. And as the game went on, they weren't really able to do anything. Like I said, three quarters, no scoring. When you look at the drive chart, it is so strange. You've got six plays for 75 yards and a touchdown on OU's first drive, then nine plays for 93 yards. Then the next 17 drives, they score two touchdowns, but they only have one drive go for over five yards or over five plays. And they, you know, they turn it over twice. They turn it over on downs once and they punt one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times in a row and have six three and outs in a row to end the game. 
So that, and you can say what you want. They they had a twenty eight to three lead, but in the third quarter that got cut to twenty eight to ten. And I think when you're OU at that point, you have to think, hey, we've got to get some first downs, oh, and they yeah. weren't able to. So I don't think it was just straight up conservative play calling from OU. They weren't able to convert first downs, and they were trying to in the second half. I mean, that's so many punts in a row and so many three and outs in a row. You you gotta. You can say whatever you want, but you've got to give some credit to the OSU defense. That, no question. No question, Dustin. That is absolutely a phenomenal point. This was a two-possession game with the whole fourth quarter left to go. There, Oklahoma State was trying to make this competitive, and Oklahoma is trying to throw the, throw the haymaker. They couldn't do it. You are spot on, and I think that's a great point, that Oklahoma State's defense – for the last three quarters of that game, absolutely came to play. I think you can give 14 of those points to the offense and 14 to the defense because ultimately they, they weren't able to do anything else. So I think that's a really good point and a great call by you. Yeah, and I liked uh, one of the things that Oklahoma State did in this game that we haven't we've seen a little bit of but not a ton is they were moving the Leo around into kind of like a third linebacker spot. So not always lined up on the weak side, on the boundary side into the line of scrimmage as a defensive end more is what the true position is supposed to be a defensive end linebacker hybrid. So, you know, sometimes behind the nose guard, sometimes a little bit shaded over to the, to the strong side sometimes a little bit farther back towards the linebackers. And it was helping them deal with some of OU's counter runs and some of the power stuff that they do where there's a lineman pulling, you can kind of take a little bit different angle. So that I thought that was great. I liked it. I liked what they did there. You could see it help. You know, sometimes they still busted a big play. Oklahoma State was unable to set the edge. We saw that a few times. We saw the linebackers get washed a few times. Kendall Daniels just kind of overrun the play, which we've seen him do at times this season. And then they lose another defensive lineman. Colin Clay goes down, and they go heavy two down to Leo after that. So I think that was like 12 of their last 19 snaps. They went to Leo, two down linemen, which we really hadn't seen at all. That's Mason's kind of bread and butter from Auburn last year. We saw it a lot early and they kind of went away from it. And then it you know, reemerged in this game. So they did some things that I liked. They, you know, aside from 28 points, and we talked about what happened there. You mentioned the, the wheel routes, the rub concepts. We've seen Oklahoma State get beat on those. And that's just inexperienced guys getting their eyes in the backfield, not you know, kind of underestimating the other team's speed, thinking you're just fast enough to, hey, oh, well, I can get out there no matter what on that wheel route. Oh, or, yeah. I can be, I can beat this rub no matter what. And, and you see that, that, that you're not. And that's just an experience, guys. And even guys like Sean Michael Flanagan, who you see get beat on a rub, he's a 60-year guy, but hasn't had a ton of snaps on defense aside from this season. So again, it's just things they got to clean up. And I don't, I'm not that worried about some of these things because they were able to clean them up in the game. Oh, yeah. I, I think matchup wise, the one that kind of stood out to me was it looked like, oh, you clearly wanted Drake Stoops on, on Sean Michael Flanagan. Just maybe it was a speed thing that they had seen, but he beat, he beat him twice down the field. Great throw on the touchdown pass. Uh, you know, I think that was OU's third touchdown of the quarter. Um, but ultimately, there were multiple times where Flanagan was kind of behind the play. Not to single a single player out, but I think they saw something potentially um, on film that was like, let's let's get him matched up there. And, and Flanagan wasn't able to make the plays, but it, it wasn't just him. There were several guys that were not in, in the right position to make those plays in the first quarter. 
Well, what they saw was, hey, this is uh, this guy's second start at the nickel yeah, position. Right. Well, so <laughs> on that play, on that play where, you know, and and we're going to rehash OU's touchdowns, so bear with us here. But that Drake Stoops touchdown, that kind of, you know, what, what would you call that? An up the sideline route where he comes out from the slot. You had, you had Xavier Benson and Mason Cobb go with the flat. That's not supposed to happen. And you had Jason Taylor and uh, it was Kendall Daniels. Kendall Daniels, thank you, going with the inside the route. route. Yeah, and it's like, well, somebody's <laughs> they have two guys out of position there. <laughs> that was just not not good early from Oklahoma State. That's one of those plays you rewatch, and you know, my small brain has trouble picking out the coverage sometimes anyway. But on that one, I'm like, I don't well, know what this coverage was supposed to be. I, well, I don't think they did either because it was <laughs> not right is what I can figure out with my small brain. That wasn't what no, it's supposed it, to look like. It's No, it's a great call. Yeah, th- there's just some bust. And we've seen that with uh, OU's defense this year. It's just some things you got to clean up. And I'm going to chalk it up to some of these guys being inexperienced. And I know we're you know, 10, 11 games into the season, but – first-year defensive coordinator, I expect to see some improvements as we move into next season. I know you're losing some guys, but just not so much talking about overall defensive improvement, but improvements on some of these busts and things like that. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I did, you know, positive. If you want to keep on the positives, I thought Sione Asi had a great game. I thought he's had a really solid season for a pretty underwhelming overall season performance from the defensive line. I think I see has been great. Nathan Latou shows a lot of promise. He has another year. So it's going to be great to watch him come back because I think he can, he can fill that Lacey role. Not as good as a Tyler Lacey. Tyler Lacey's an amazing defensive lineman, but I think he brings different things to the table. Thought Colin Oliver played his best game against the run probably in this game all season. Cause you know, that's been one of his knocks to, to make it to the next level is his, is his ability to thin the run. Brock played well. I thought Walter Shad was decent. I thought Clay Samuela and Xavier Ross struggled, but I, I really liked us and Latou. Yeah. Yeah. No question. It gives you some confidence going forward in the next year. I, I think defensive tackle might be a transfer portal uh, spot that gets a look. Um, I, I don't think Oklahoma State's going to have a whole lot of room, so they're going to need to be pretty selective on on what they're looking at. But I, def- interior defensive line, somebody next to Asi that you can really kind of bank on, I, depending on Colin Clay's health, I think he can be that guy. I think you got to go find somebody that's been that guy, though, because I think Oklahoma State is kind of in, in limbo right now up there. So, Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, as far as linebackers go, Cobb had eight tackles, a uh, half tackle for loss, two QB hurries, and a pass breakup. And he almost picked that ball up. Yes, he end, did. And that would have been insane. And you could tell when they talked to him post game that that was all he was thinking about in that interview. Well, it would have completely <laughs> up like changed the game. <laughs> yeah, he almost had it. I think he jumped maybe a little too early, but it was an amazing play no matter what. And just on since since we're talking Cobb as well, Latou, I felt so bad for him on that unsportsmanlike conduct because he's just sticking up for his boy Cobb. Yeah, and he and didn't he, do anything. Yeah, and he it, it was the second thing that happened. This is the second guy always gets caught, but he's you know can't do that in this game. But um, I thought Cobb played well. 
Dude, this may be a little bit of a hot take before I flip it back over to you on the linebackers. Oh, no. Aside from the beginning of the game, I thought Xavier Benson played pretty well again. I was so frustrated with him that I, I'm, I'm appreciative of your perspective because you said outside of the beginning of the game. So I'll give you, I'll give you that. Um, the whole defense in the th- second, third, and fourth quarter played really well, but that first quarter, I felt like he maybe stuck out as one of the guys that was not yes. <laughs> like so. When everybody was playing bad, I thought he was one that was noticeably bad. And then well, when everybody was better, he was just better. If that makes no, sense. you're right. And he was doing the same thing we've we've kind of called out early in the year. He's sitting back on his heels, yes. not reading and reacting. And I think Mason must have said something directly to him at halftime because he comes on, he makes the stop on that third and one yep. Yep. that they have to review. He makes another great tackle late in the game. I put, you know, I went back and I didn't have great notes on Vincent on my initial rewatch, but then I'm going back and clipping. And looking, or I thought I didn't, and I'm looking at my notes to pick out which plays I wanted to clip. And I see great job by Benson. Not nice play by me here by Benson. I'm like, maybe he did actually have a decent game. So the wow. second time I rewatched, he was bad at the beginning. You were hundred percent correct. But as the game went on, I thought he ended he actually made several plays that were huge yeah. in this game. And I think you have to end up averaging that out to an okay performance because no matter how bad he played at the beginning, some of these plays he made later were big time. Yeah, like that third and one stop was huge. Yeah, you're really fair look at it, and you're 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 correct on that. I I think I probably let the the first part of that game cloud my judgment, but yeah, he he did play well. I, I think in the first thing, to first your half, I was looking at like. Okay, who's who's in the portal right now that could potentially be a <laughs> a fit there? Because I need you to get a hand on Eric Gray. Uh, I mean, at the very least. To your point, though, Cade, that's two games that we've said he's looked pretty good out of you know all in the a games row. Oklahoma State's played this year. So I think that <laughs> I, I do agree with you that it, it is a question mark for next season because he has not shown a ton of great things. I would say as badly as I want it to work for him. um, I think he has the um, athleticism. I don't know if the rest is there. I mean, there was that um, maybe move him to safety. Maybe. Or or (laughs) could you put a little weight on him and move him to Leo? Would that be a better bondage, a better spot for him? Because what I see in him is a lot of, um, flat footedness and coverage. And then that, that play to Eric gray over the middle, it was a little five yard dump off Benson's playing that kind of deep coverage, but he comes up to make the tackle and he doesn't even lay a hand on Eric gray. And you need your linebacker to at least disrupt his path to get him spilled out into the rest of your defense. And he just didn't do it. And I think that right there is kind of the, the type of play that has frustrated me with him outside of getting washed up in the counter looks, which he continued to do in this game. And I, again, I feel like I'm, I'm really critical this episode, but I, I felt like that was the the thing that we had seen all season that just continued to show, but you're right. Second half of that game, he was better. I think he averages out to a C because of how he played in the second half, but the beginning might've been an, a D or an F. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, I, you're I do probably think right. You brought up the tackling. The tackling was bad at the beginning. 
And again, you see that from some of these guys who are more inexperienced. You see Mason Cobb go full body torpedo at a guy and blast him backwards, but not knock him down. And then, you know, in high school, he's probably knocking that dude into the stands with a right. hit like that. You see Jabbar Muhammad do it as well. These guys that, you know, Jabbar now has had a ton of in-game snaps, but it's still something, you know, when you were able to do it all the time in junior high and high school, it, it takes a while to train your brain. And I think that, I mean, I think I just kind of segued us into the defensive backfield. Corey Black's best game all season. Am I yeah. wrong there? No, you're not um, at all. And I was actually going to give some flowers to Jabbar Muhammad. Just he continues again. Yeah. continues to be maybe the most consistent player on this defense, I would say. Um, outside of a Jason Taylor, who I didn't think was all that great this in this game. Um, he Jabbar, just always makes a play, so it might. Right. Jabbar, Jabbar is always in the right spot, and when he's beat, he's recovering quickly. I would say is what you want in a corner. And Corey, you know, continues to come around. I, I would say his best game all season, no, no doubt. I mean, look at – OU struggled to do anything with their outside receivers. Everything they kind of got was those underneath rub routes, wheel route, getting a you know a slot receiver matched up on a safety. None of it was really Mims or you know a Jaleel Farouk giving you problems. I, I didn't feel like that. Yeah, once Mason adjusted the cornerback alignments pre-snap, they weren't able to hit anything really on whoever Jabbar and Corey were covering. Yep. And Corey played great last game. He played, or you know, he got beat a few times by Xavier Hutchinson, but, you know, everybody's going to get beat by Xavier Hutchinson. He made some big plays at the end of that game. Yep. He played awesome in this game. If he can play really good against West Virginia, play good in the bowl game, I think you're talking about some serious momentum for him next season into being, you know, you know possibly in preseason all-conference cornerback there and then you've got Jabbar on the other side who is yeah. an all-conference cornerback I'm really excited about the corners going in next year and with Corey that just kind of shows you Mike Gundy's you know he normally just says it about quarterbacks but I think about all players your 15 games or whatever I think that's where Corey's probably at 15 games of significant yeah. snaps and he's and he's coming around so you know Gundy is you know at, as much as we like to say he's just making stuff up sometimes, he's he's right on that. He was making some stuff up this week at his press conference. We may get to that later. But, yeah, you're you're exactly right. And doesn't it give you a little bit of a shot in the arm about next year? I, I think Spencer comes back. I actually feel like that's the dissenting opinion right now, but I, I'm not sure exactly where he goes. So I, I feel like Spencer's back. You're returning a whole lot of talent on the offensive line. It feels like you're just a couple pieces away on the defensive side of the football to being close to where you were last season, which is a crazy thing to say. But Oklahoma State gave up some – I mean, last year may have been a flash in the pan, but I do not think you're that far off from having the pieces. It's all about if it comes together. I, I think you look at linebacker, you may look at interior defensive line, like I said, but that's less questions – than you entered this season with. So I, I like the way things are headed. And I think Derek Mason on the whole Manhattan was an abject disaster. Lawrence abject disaster. The first quarter of this game disaster outside of that, this team has done a lot of good things with a lot of youth. And I am excited to see where they go together as a unit, because I think 
with Mason Cobb and Kendall Daniels in those two corners, you have some cornerstones to build off of. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. And you know, you'll lose guy. We haven't talked about Jason Taylor yet. You'll lose a guy like that. You lose a Sean Michael Flanagan, who I believe is out of eligibility. I think JT actually could come back, but Gundy kind of went over those guys. And we'll get to that later. We got a question about it, but about Daniels, you know, did what he does every game, you know, misses some things and then makes some huge plays. So I'm going to live with it because I think next season he cleans that up and he's just a, you know, one of the best players in the Big 12. So Jason Taylor, like you said, he, he had some times where he didn't look great, but then he had some other times where he's making plays down by the line of scrimmage, 11 total tackles, 10 solo, the pass breakup and the interception. His stat lines every game, you watch on film and you see some bust, but then you look at his stat line, you look at some of the big plays he makes. This guy, he, he really just does it all. Yeah, no question. Um, you know, for me, I don't know at that safety spot, uh, I think Kendall is, he's shown you everything you'd like to see. And then a lot of those mistakes that you mentioned, I think the question is who who's next to him next year. That That's really where, where I look at an answer. Yeah. Gundy mentioned uh, on the radio show, talking about senior day that he believes Thomas Harper is coming back. Well, that's, that would be great. I think you, you have to have that at this point. So then you've got Harper and Daniels, and you know, we've seen Lear Crawls out there some. There's some other guy, you know, Trey Rucker, who we haven't seen all this year, who I believe has another year of eligibility. So there's more guys. You know, you lose Shawn Michael and Kanayan Williams, who has been out with injury. You know, he's more of a special teams guy, but does play safety. But I think there's some young guys on this roster who could fill in that third safety spot. So we'll see. Yeah, no question. Well, Overall, Dustin, I would say this team probably wants that first quarterback, and I would say the defense probably wanted a little more help from the offense in this game. It's it's unfortunate. Neither unit can really look at the other one and say that was your fault. I think it was everybody's fault. I would even put a little bit of fault on the coaching staff for having not been a little bit more prepared in that first quarter and figuring out a way to weather that storm. I mean, it's it's unfortunate when you can't run the football, try to get some easy chunk yardage, but Ultimately, I, I think there's a lot of I'll go back to my original point. Bedlam brings out a lot of emotion. And I think if you step back and look at this game, this could have been that we would have loved for this to have been the way K-State went down. Is anybody talking about K-State today or are they talking about Mike Gundy's coaching decisions? And I'm, not, I'm not calling anybody out. I'm not saying anything, you know, critical in that regard, but we will go over the top as a fan base because it's bedlam. You take a step back and you look at this game, the opportunities were there. And I will even say there's been a lot of discussion on Twitter, which I love. You love when I reference what's happening on Twitter, Dustin, (laughs) about punting and kicking. Here's the deal. If Oklahoma State's offense figures out a way to run the football, they are in that game. And it's not because of, you know, a, a bad punting decision or a bad kicking decision Oklahoma State had opportunities and they couldn't seize it. And I really think any in-game decision from the coach should be looked at objectively from how the game ended. They had an opportunity to make that a game and they just couldn't do it. Yeah, you know, they're they're going out there trying to throw to open up the run. And I, I get the game plan, but you can tell Spencer is not <laughs> Spencer <laughs> right. Sanders. Right. His throwing motion looks completely different. 
Like he's doing different things with his arm because of his shoulder. He's not changing that launch point. Like we see him do all the time, which all other coaches always talk about Sanders can change his launch point on his throw. He's not doing that because he doesn't have the strength in his shoulder. Still looks like his ankles messed up when he's in the pocket, but that could just be the happy feet getting pressured. And you're asking him to throw it. OU's dropping eight. I'm not, I'm not really sure what, what you want, what else you want him to do when you can't run the football with your running back. So yeah. Or really protect him. But, you know, shout out to OU on their defensive game plan. I, I thought it was great coming in. Um, it was a really sound game from them, which sucks because they've had a lot of sloppy games this year. I was hoping to get a sloppy one. But they, they the offense still performed, but OU was able to, you know, win the kind of battle when they had to. So it was it was tough. It's a tough game. I'm I'm honestly done talking about it if you are. So <laughs> yeah. I'd love to well, let's let's ball this up. Let's throw it in the fire and let's never talk about it again. We've had more games like that this year than I care to uh discuss ever again, but it is what it is. Dustin, before we move on to West Virginia, let's take a quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick second and recognize Home Field Apparel for their support of the Feels Like 45 podcast. They've been tremendous to us. It's important that you know, too, um, you know, with our promo code Feels12, historically you'll get 15% off your first order with Home Field. However, right now they have a Black Friday sale going on on their website. That sale started on November 18th and ends November 27th. And with the code Black Friday, so don't use our promo code, use the code Black Friday, you'll get 20% off the entire site. And this is not only for first time customers, this is for anybody. So anybody has access to Homefield's Black Friday deal when you use the promo code Black Friday. Again, that's 20% off the entire store. What better opportunity to get somebody the gift that you've been thinking about? I mean, we've been talking about the uh, throwback hoodie for weeks now that both Dustin and I are rocking. So highly recommend taking a look at that. Um, and anything else. I mean, they, they've got anything you would think of for the college sports fan. Um, so check them out. Again, that's homefieldapparel.com. Use the promo code Black Friday for 20% off your entire order uh, when you use that promo code. All right, Dustin. Well, we are moving on, believe it or not, to the regular season finale. Oklahoma State welcomes West Virginia into Morgan or into Stillwater, rather, uh, for that regular season finale. West Virginia four and seven on the year, Oklahoma State seven and four. Um, probably the decision on Neil Brown's future feels made. Does this uh change much for the way you look at this game? Uh, anything like that? I think, you know, last game, West Virginia K-State, they threw in some young guys. Uh, they played Jalen Anderson, the freshman running back. They played Traylon Davis, the freshman tight end. You see a couple of new guys get in on defense. You know, they're not automatically bowl eligible. Like you said, with Neil Brown's job in Jeopardy, you may and then maybe not getting these extra bowl practices. You know, a bowl could still pick them. But if they if they were to beat us, get to that five win range, I guess a bowl could still pick them anyway at four wins. But I, they might not get those extra bowl practices. I could see them playing some guys that could still redshirt if they play, just to get them some in game reps. You know, it's obviously not senior night or anything because it's an away game for them. So I 
I'm not sure exactly what we're going to see from West Virginia. I'm not saying they're not going to try to win this game, but this preview, we may not go into as much detail because they may not even play some of the guys we're going to talk about. So we'll see. Yeah, it, it should be an interesting discussion because West Virginia, I would say, even by you know the casual fans' perspective, has probably underwhelmed this year. Not the first year in recent memory that they have underwhelmed. I think people thought JT Daniels solved some things at the quarterback spot. You still welcome back Bryce Ford Wheaton, Sam James, um, and and one of the Stills brothers who's still there, unbelievably. So they are, uh, you know, as always, a talented bunch that appears raw and doesn't they they haven't put the pieces together this year um that I think a lot maybe expected them to so Dustin I mean what have you seen scheme wise that Oklahoma State should expect in this game it's going to be rainy and cold in Stillwater on Saturday so uh that may affect the way this goes yeah so Neil Brown West Virginia's head coach who we've mentioned already he's you know air raid guy Dana Holgerson kind of set him up to fail. <laughs> he made a lot of gambles in the transfer portal and then just left Neil Brown with that roster kind of in shambles yeah. when he came in. But, you know, Neil Brown was at Troy. He, like I said, air raid guy. He was the OC for Tommy Tuberville at Texas Tech. He called plays at UK, uh, Kentucky, and Troy. They've got Graham Harrell, former Texas Tech quarterback, another air raid guy. He was at North Texas, USC. They're heavy 11 personnel. Even And before I go into all this, they are going to start Garrett Green instead yeah. of JT Daniels. He came in for Daniels two games ago against OU and led, led them to victory in that game, and then he started against K-State. He's quite a bit different than Daniels. He's a faster guy. He's only 5'11", 200 pounds, a smaller guy. He still has a good arm, but definitely like if you looked at him and JT Daniels, they look completely different size-wise and skill set-wise. But heavy 11 personnel, they'll use a lot of the air raid staples like mesh, four verts, things like that. They'll do some RPO, even though in the K-State game, I actually watched that last night, they didn't do a lot of RPO. It seemed like a lot of zone read or straight drop back. They went empty a lot, which... We didn't see from Neil Brown's West Virginia teams a lot in the past. That, so I think that's a Graham Harrell thing that's brought in. They've gone empty. They'll split the running back out wide. They'll mix in a lot of those stick RPO air raid principles. They're heavy zone, but they really love the GH counter, which we've seen OSU run several times recently where the backside guard and the backside tight end, who's normally in that H-back spot offset from the tackle, will come around and pull for the running back. So you'll see that a lot. They'll run it for the quarterback and for the running back. Like I said, zone read. They love the wide receiver screen game. They'll go tempo. They'll use motion. It, it's a lot of the stuff that you see from other air raid, smash mouth spread, Big 12 offenses. So nothing nothing super out of the ordinary, except for the fact that Garrett Green is a really good runner, and he's yep. someone you have to watch for scrambling you know, uh, uh, along with their zone scheme, they'll do split zone, which is a staple of Oklahoma State's run game as well. So we'll see what they come out and do. Like you said, it's going to be rainy and bad, you know, cold weather. I, I think that might set up good for West Virginia with a running quarterback right. like Garrett Green. But, but we'll kind of see how how they decide to attack Oklahoma State. Yeah, no question. I mean, 
we've seen Oklahoma State at times this year struggle with that counterplay. We've we talked about on on this podcast, and West Virginia runs that pretty effectively. I would say with Garrett Green out there, they pose some issues for this Oklahoma State. You know, front seven, if you can even call it that, really in this scheme. I think they pose some issues for Oklahoma State in that regard. Now, I think what they have there could be offset by the fact that they don't throw the ball very well. They did find some success against K-State. I think that's more of an anomaly. If you go back and watch them against Oklahoma. A lot of big plays. Big chunk plays in that game. I really think the norm is more like what they were able to do against Oklahoma with Garrett Green in that game. Oklahoma State even saw Garrett Green a little bit last year when they played West Virginia up in Morgantown. So not a guy that they're unfamiliar with, and there's some tape out there on him. Um, He seems like a guy that you know Oklahoma State traditionally has defended pretty well. So I I would think that they have a pretty good game plan, but ultimately they can do some things that we've seen Oklahoma State struggle with. So, Yeah, you might see more of that crush rush buzzword we like to say. We love it. uh, Just kind of running through their personnel real quick. Like I said, we won't spend a lot of time on maybe the two deep, but we'll just hit the starters, the guys that we think at least will start. Offensive line, the guy to focus on their center, Zach Frazier. I think, personally, I think he's their best offensive lineman. They've got an experienced guy, Doug Nestor, at right guard. I actually think he's been their worst guy in pass pro. This offensive line has struggled to pass protect. They like to throw the ball down the field, but they've had trouble pass protecting. Jaquay Hubbard at right tackle. The right side of their line has been the weaker side. And then on the left side, Wyatt Millen at left tackle has been pretty good. Their left guard, their starting left guard at the beginning of the season, James Gmitter, he's out with injury. I think it was a few weeks back. Thomas Rymack plays for him. He's They like to pull him in that GH counter, and he's actually pretty good at it. They were in, I believe they were in either or at the beginning of the season. I know all this about the offensive line because I just did that analysis, but... Uh, so so he's he's a pretty good player. Receiver-wise, they've got three guys they focus on. Sam James in the slot, Bryce Ford-Weeden at X, and Caden Prather at Z. Prather was hurt and didn't play at K-State. Neil Brown said in his presser he's going to be back, but we'll see there. And then when they go four wide, they'll use Reese Smith at the H. Tight end-wise, Brian Polidini, transfer. And they'll use Traylon Davis now, I guess, the freshman who I hadn't really seen play at all. Michael Laughlin, their other tight end, is hurt. Running back, Tony Mathis, has been their starter all year. Elbow injury, he's been spelled now by Justin Johnson and Jalen Anderson, who's a freshman. C.J. Donaldson, freshman running back, watch out for him next year. He got hurt earlier this season. Dude is a freak. He's a monster. Yeah, he He's going to be a problem next year. He was their leading rusher in a couple of games this year. I think three actually had, yeah, he, had 125 uh, in that opening game against Pitt. He committed, I can't remember where, I think I wrote it down. Yeah, he committed the two lane as a tight end. Oh, wow. He plays running back for West Virginia. He's a monster. Um, And then, like, we already talked about Garrett Green at quarterback. So, I I really think the guys that can hurt you here, those three receivers, if Prather plays, he's awesome. Sam James, Green seemed really comfortable throwing it deep to him. I know he's out of the slot, but he hit him on two deep balls. And then Bryce Ford Wheaton, he's a guy that's been around. They like to throw screens to him. Those are the three guys I would watch out for. Justin Johnson doesn't scare me a lot at running back, but I did like what I saw from the freshman Jalen Anderson. He broke a few big runs and was, I think it was like nine yards a carry or something. So we'll see. I I mean, not a ton of great skill talent, but those receivers are definitely, they definitely can hurt you. Yeah, no, no question. That's three guys that I think 
any Oklahoma State fan would would not mind having on their roster. Um, I, I would say Bryce Ford Wheaton kind of entered the year as a household name in the Big 12. Sam James has been maybe as good or better at times than than Bryce Ford Wheaton. And then you've got Cam Prather, as you just said. So they, they're never short on skill talent, really ever. So it's always a question of defense. It's a question of quarterback play. They're never short on skill talent. And I think I think the way to stop West Virginia is you've got to get pressure on Green and cause him to make quick decisions that aren't there. He threw a pick six really early in the K-State game, threw another pick later, which I think was actually the right read. It was just a bad throw. If you can get him off balance without letting him scramble, you know, kind of keep him in the pocket, but get him get him a little frantic, get him a little rattled. I think you can you can cause some turnovers. I, I just he's too inexperienced. I know he's a sophomore, but too inexperienced in game, and he tries to make the big play every <laughs> play, and you can cause someone to make a lot of mistakes when when they have that mindset. I was gonna say he gives uh, he gives Baker Mayfield energy without maybe the uh, ability at times, but I I do like Garrett Green as a player. I just think he's um, you know he plays that way. And, and doesn't always make that play. So anyway, I think what West Virginia brings is a potentially dangerous offense to Stillwater, but one that can malfunction pretty, pretty rapidly. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Kate, I'm down to move to their defense if you are. Yeah, it sounds good. So the same defense West Virginia's had since they've brought in Neil Brown. Jordan Leslie was with him at Troy. Uh, he was promoted to defensive coordinator two years ago. He knows what Brown wants from his defense. They're primarily quarters coverage, although I do think they'll probably match up with Oklahoma State and man, and they'll probably blitz because the teams that have done that to banged up Spencer Sanders, it's worked out pretty well for them. See uh, Bedlam last week. So they'll go three down with their linebackers four to five yards deep. They'll also go four down. They do a pretty good mix of that which is what we've seen from them at times. They'll have their, they have their uh, spear linebacker, which is more of like a safety linebacker hybrid. They have their bandit, which is the more like the Leo position, that defensive end outside linebacker hybrid. It's, you know, they'll do a lot of slanting and stunting. I guess they're primarily zone scheme, although they have played man this year. They like to bring their safeties up and involve them in the run. They also like to move their cat safety kind of all over the field. They'll even play him towards the boundary, which causes their boundary corner to play off. So you can find some kind of quick throws to the boundary at times. Wide receiver screens have hurt them at times. And then they'll do some cool blitzing. They'll do some of that sim pressure creeper stuff that I was talking about. Oh, you did last week that we've seen from Aranda and Roberts at Baylor. So that's kind of what they like to do. It's, it's not, it's not the three down Iowa State defense. It's a little bit different than that, but it'll look like that pre-snap at times. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always looked weird there, and it was kind of the first adaptation of that Iowa State defense. It felt like it at the time West Virginia was the next to adopt that, and now everybody's running it. So it, they they've done it for a while. Uh, it's it's interesting to see that they've still stuck with it. But, I mean, it's easy to do when you've got stills in the middle still holding things down. Yeah, and that segues perfectly into the position groups. Their defensive line, Dante Stills, as you mentioned, there's still a Stills at West Virginia. 
he's been good. This defensive line, if you can get, if you can knock them back, I do not like the West Virginia inside linebackers, Koba and uh, Ziri Lowe. They're talented guys, kind of like a Xavier Benson. They just haven't been consistently good. They'll sit back on their heels, slow to react. So if you can get through Stills, Jordan Jefferson at nose tackle, and Sean Martin at defensive end and get up to the second level, you can make them miss at times and turn it into a 9, 10, 11, 12-yard run before the safeties can get you down. So that maybe Oklahoma State can get a little bit going in the run game. We'll see. We say that every week. I do really like Sean Martin and Jordan Jefferson, though. The defensive line, they're not super physical, but they can get after the quarterback, so I like those guys there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, that's it's it's the question every week. We've talked about this ad nauseum. If Oklahoma State can figure out a way to run the football, which I just said like an hour ago, they can't. I don't expect them to be able to, (laughs) but maybe you, you get lucky. Maybe Jason Brooks is back. Um, gives you another uh, hand on the offensive line to where Oklahoma State can find some success running that way. And if they do, I think they're going to you know, win this game pretty comfortably. If not, uh, in the rain, in the wind, and the elements, I don't love the spot. Yeah, and I think, too, you can get these, the Bandit, Jared Bartlett, and the Spear, Jasir Cox, who I really like. He's probably my favorite player outside of the defensive line on their defense, number seven. You can get them into some run pass conflicts to where you can hit shorter passes. Like you said, if it's wet, you don't want to throw the ball downfield, but there will be shots open downfield. If they're in quarters or in straight up man, you will get some one-on-one on the outside. And even if it's rainy, I think you're going to have to take some shots on them because that's how they've been hurt this season on these big, deep shots, whether that be, you know, deep down the seam, deep down the outside. So we'll see there. Uh, I do like Malachi Ruffin at their left cornerback spot. He had a pick six against K-State on Will Howard. We got Mar- uh, Marcus Floyd at the cat, Aubrey Burks at free safety, and then Wesley McCormick at that other corner. So not a super talented group, but I do like these guys. Like I said, I like Ruffin a lot. He can make plays. So we'll see. I, I think Oklahoma State, I'm not sure what they'll come out with their game plan because I know Sanders is banged up. I don't know if they're going to get Dom back. I'm not sure if Wilson or Woodard is going to play. Brooks should be back because I think he was just out with an illness. If they're able to get anything going in the run game, I know I said this exact same thing as OU. And can get the play-action pass game working, they can beat this team. Yeah, I I totally agree This is probably the worst defense besides KU, I, I would say. I would say they should beat this team just based off of output. Like they, they've been the better team all year, but you look back at the way things looked last week. I think Jason Brooks being back is a huge deal. When he was out against OU, it was like, oh boy, I don't know how Oklahoma State blocks anybody at this point. I think they'll have more success, especially in pass protection, still yet to be seen in the run game. So we'll see. Um, I'm not expecting a high scoring game in this one. Um, I, I would say the elements really kind of blunt any chance for, um, you know, some some heroics or, you know, some over-the-top scoring potential in this game. I would say with two mobile quarterbacks, two running games that, you know, want to really get going and the elements, I, I think this is a low-scoring game. Yeah, I agree. I, so it's – the line is over-underline 64 and Oklahoma State's favored by 8.5. 64 feels like a lot of points, but – what do I know? It really does, especially with the weather. I just, 
It's going to be 11 a.m. Do, do you have your yeah. scorecard? Yeah. Well, here, I'll take Oklahoma State to win this game. I think they'll, I think 24 is the number for them. I mean, I, I don't see any way 64 is, is the number. That may be that may be your lock of the week, your prize picks lock of the week. I don't see a, a way 64 is the number. Um, I'll, I'll take Oklahoma State 24, West Virginia 16. I think Oklahoma State makes a couple red zone stops, forces them to field goals. I, I think this is a, you know, one possession game late, but I don't think it's – I think it's not as close as the score would indicate. Yeah, I'm going to go 31-20 Oklahoma State. I think that – I agree with you. I think Oklahoma State's able to control this game because I don't think they're going to let those huge big plays up to Sam James. And I I don't know what – West Virginia is going to do offensively if they they can't hit those big plays because, like I said, Tony Mathis Jr., and Donaldson are out. So they're with their third and fourth string running backs. Their tight ends are banged up. Prather is banged up. G Mitter's out, even though I like Thomas Remack. But it's just, it's a lot of backup guys playing. They don't really have anything to play for. Might be bad weather, 11 a.m. Yeah, yeah. And these are all reasons Oklahoma State could not get up for the game <laughs> as well. But, but I, I just think, I think Oklahoma State comes out on senior day. Sometimes that emotion affects you bad. Sometimes it affects you in a good way. I think it'll affect Oklahoma State in a good way. They've got a lot of old guys, older guys on this team. I think they come out and play really well and control this game from start to finish. I like it. I like it. I, I could totally see that. Um, I, I think I'm probably carrying a little bit of last week and the last couple of weeks with me in my prediction, but um, it's just one of those games. I think that Oklahoma state, there's a, there's an avenue where they come out flat, but hopefully the events of senior day last go round in Boone Pickens stadium for a lot of guys uh, gets them up and ready to go. I, I don't think Oklahoma state loses. I, I really don't see a way that happens. Um, but I, I do think that this could be one of those, you know, classic, you know, just grind out a win type of games for Oklahoma State. So yeah, anyway, like it. should be a good one. Hard to believe we're already to this point in the season. Next time you and I talk, we are bowl game bound and and things look a whole lot different. Every year I get to this point and I'm like, I can't believe how fast football season goes. I could do like six more of these games. Maybe not this year, but other years. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to lie. This one felt a little bit slower. Yeah, I'm I'm ready. <laughs> I am ready long. for this one to uh, to be fired into a cannon. That's that's really kind of what I'm thinking. So, yeah, just disappointing with the injuries and how things turned out. So, yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be back at it with some basketball bowl game talk. We'll be heavy football and basketball recruiting like we were yep. in the offseason last year. So it'll be a lot of fun. We'll still have a ton of stuff. We'll still be doing clips on twitter do a lot more in-game stuff for basketball and some wrestling coming up so it'll be a lot of fun well hey real quick speaking of basketball uh just quick discussion on what's gone on obviously down in the bahamas um had a 17 point lead against ucf in the opening game and and lost that game not the first time oklahoma state's lost a game with a double digit lead um, it is the third double-digit lead they have blown. And then on the heels of that, they also opened up a double-digit lead against DePaul. And DePaul actually came back and took the lead in that game. Oklahoma State ultimately able to eke out a win. I think Oklahoma State's got an issue putting teams away. Is that is that too much to say? Yeah, and 
You know, Mike Boynton had an availability with the media today. And he said he went back and watched, you know, they shot terribly from three and from the field in that UCF game, 29% from the field, 10% from three point range. It's just, it was not good. And Mike Boynton said he went back and watched these shots. And most of these shots are shots. These guys have to take and make no question. You know, it's not like they're taking all these shots are some of them were, but it's not like they're taking a majority of bad shots. These are wide open threes or wide open elbow jumpers that they're just missing. And it's, it's got to, these shots have to go in for this team to win and for them to keep leads. Like you talked about, because Musa Cisse and Caleb Boone, as long as they can stay out of foul trouble, which we've seen them get into a little bit of issues with here early in the season, they're both playing phenomenal basketball on the offensive oh, yeah. end. So the other guys have to pick it up and make these shots. And and if they do, I think this team can be really solid. Well, if you're not watching Caleb Boone and Musa Cisse play together, you're missing a treat because those two guys, I would say Caleb Boone has become the player we had always wanted him to be. I think he could be. Yeah. And him moving to the four and being involved with the ball at all three levels of the floor, I think has elevated his motor. I think his, his desire to play on both ends of the floor. This is a different Caleb Boone. Musa Cisse continues to make major plays. They need some guards to step up and knock down shots. I would say it starts with Bryce Thompson. He, he's yeah. got to be better. I completely agree with you. Marshall Scott had a cool stat on Caleb Boone. He had 12 assists all of last season, and yeah. he already has 11 through five games this year. I, I, I read that. He's averaging right now. I mean, he had 15 against uh, UT Arlington. He had nine against Oakland, 10 against UCF, and 17 against DePaul. But when you watch him, he is he has an impact on the floor, and uh, it's felt in more ways than the stat sheet. But he's, he's doing a great job. And Tyreek Smith was good uh, spelling Cisse, who got in foul trouble in the DePaul yep. game. So the bigs have been fine. The yep. guards have to play better. Yeah, no question. I mean, still More consistent in that, in that game. They were two for 20 against UCF from three in against DePaul, three of 14. They've got to make shots. And 14 is not that many threes in a game. So no. it's not like they were just firing up threes and shooting this terrible percentage. They're taking open threes and missing them. They've well, got to go in. It starts, I'll say, John Michael Wright and and Bryce Thompson both going 0 for 4 and 0 of 2. You can't have that. Those are your two best shooters, I would say. You can't have that. So, yeah. anyway. And they've attacked They've attacked the rim early. That's how they've gotten these leads, and then teams kind of pack it in and let them shoot, and they're not able to hit it. Yeah. Well, some opportunities to get back into friendly confines. I'd say playing in a in a in ballroom C at the Bahamas is is probably a weird place to be when you can't <laughs> make shots. Um, I would say, you know, obviously you've got Friday against Tulsa at home. It's a blackout game. Tulsa's bad. You've got a chance against uh, Prairie View on Sunday, and then you've got a break before ultimately you go to where Dustin. <laughs> You go to Storrs, Connecticut to play Connecticut, who is now uh, in the top 25 with an opportunity, I would say, to maybe right some wrongs, go on a little run here. I think it's important that Oklahoma State obviously goes 2-0, and but uh, feel good about yourself going to Connecticut on Thursday. Yeah, they should come out and smash Tulsa. I think that would uh, kind of lift the spirits a little bit, and if they can 
get a big lead early and hold on to it like they did in the Oakland game because Tulsa is not very good. They've lost to number 238-ranked Oregon State, 143rd-ranked Charlotte, and 108th-ranked Murray State, and they only beat one of the worst teams in all of college basketball, Jackson State, by six points. <laughs> well, we may get out of this run and not have any idea who Oklahoma State has played because Tulsa's Very no true. good, UCF's no good, DePaul's no good, and I would even say UConn. UConn hasn't played a soul. The first-ranked team on their schedule is Creighton in January. So we Oklahoma State may go up there and you have no idea who Connecticut is. So we'll, we'll see. Um, it's an interesting time of the year. I will say I still love Oklahoma State's non-con. You need to win Southern Illinois games at home, though. I'll, I'll just say that. The UCF one is Agreed. fluky, but when you start to see this pattern, that's four blown uh, double-digit leads in five games. You got to fix that. So, Dustin, let's go ahead and move on uh, to our listener questions. As always, our question and answer portion of the show is brought to you by WT Appraisal, the premier commercial agriculture appraisal firm throughout the Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas area and Great Plains region of America, specializing in appraisals of farms, ranches, commercial retail facilities, and industrial real estate. WT Appraisal has over 30 years of experience in agriculture real estate and over 10 offices throughout the region. OSU graduate Andrew Cox has been appraising properties throughout Oklahoma for over a decade and would love to give you help with your appraisal needs. So give Andrew a call at 806-418-2629 or visit wtappraisal.com for more information. All right, let's move on. Here's one from Trevor. Hey, T Nasty here. Um, so I deal with pain by crunching numbers and looking at points per game. Uh, just a Big 12 play. We're the lowest uh, since we've been in 2014 on offense. Um, our average um, of yardage per play is the lowest it's been since 2014. 2014, we had Dex Garmin as quarterback. This year, we have fourth-year starter Spencer Sanders. So um, what do you think we need to do on offense <laughs> differently? Linemen, going scorched earth but pretty concerned about next year uh, give me your thoughts t nasty it's a good question man i um i have an issue with obviously the offensive line as we discussed earlier in the podcast also though i would say the way this has gone i'm not sure you can roll back the the entire organization the way you brought it out in 2022 or the way you brought it out this year, next year. I don't think you can just roll it back. I think there's got to be a change made somewhere. I don't think it's at the offensive coordinator level. Um, I, I do think there are changes to be made though. And I, I, I think we've, we've kind of discussed where that could be. Yeah. I mean, to Gundy's point, I know you hate to say this is a reason, but they have been decimated by injuries. Yeah on the offensive line and you know 
I know that they rotated guys in early, but when you see them at that 74% in that table I tweeted out earlier, and then when I tell you about 2021 and 20, them being at 82 and 77%, it's tough. It's tough. You know, you've got to figure something out though, more depth. You know, if you're changing how you're conditioning in the off season, during the season, changing how you're practicing, I don't know what it is because I don't know what all they're doing behind the scenes, but you definitely have to clean some things up on the offensive line. If you can get solid, consistent play from the offensive line and keep, you know, at least four of the five starters through a majority of the games, you know, if one goes down, that makes sense. But when you're losing three or four guys every year and having to rotate guys around, and it also goes back to making the right decision on the depth chart right. going into the season. I know you've got the non-con to sure things up, but you're also losing snaps for these guys that could be the starters. If you sure the offensive lineup, everything else will correct itself. Yeah. Now, I do think on the offensive coordinator front that things, as you alluded to earlier, it has gotten a little predictable at times. It's almost like a chicken and the egg conversation. If the offensive line is blocking well for the run game, maybe you're able to add some new things in to keep the defense guessing. But you can't just you know rely on gimmicky stuff. You have to be able to run the football. And then when Spencer Sanders gets banged up and you have to play Rangel and Gunnar Gundy, two inexperienced guys who I think are talented but inexperienced, you see what happens to the offense in those games. So I hate to blame it on injuries, but I think that's a major part. And then I think you've got to do something to figure out how to improve this offensive line. Like you alluded to recruiting, the things I just mentioned. If the offensive line gets shored up, your offense becomes so much better. Uh, no question it doesn't even have to be otherworldly for this team to have been a nine win team um it just had to be use offensive line was great right right i mean it's great it's crazy that oklahoma state continues to battle injuries up front like of of significant proportion every year and you look around the country and it's like well it doesn't feel like everybody else is struggling with this as bad as oklahoma state is consistently so i think there's something there here's one from reagan What's up, guys? First-time caller, long-time listener, big fan of the pod. You guys are great. I'm sure I'm not the only one with this question, but I'm not a big fire-everybody guy, but <laughs> if there is going to be some some kind of shake-up this offseason, the coaching staff, who do you think it will be? And is it, I mean, is it going to be Dickie, Dunn? Is that possible? And on another note, why can we not get seem to have a competent offensive line since Wickline's <laughs> been gone? I mean... Is it just the zone running scheme? Do you guys not want to come play at OSU up front? Interested interested to hear you guys take. Appreciate it. Well, Dustin, there's a theme, my friend. Yeah, and I'm glad we went into that discussion earlier on the offensive line because I think you know we can kind of reference back to that. And thank you so much, Reagan and T. Nasty, for these questions. They're great questions. That's why we went into it earlier because – we have the same questions. If you made me pick someone on the offensive staff that I think maybe wouldn't be here next season, I would probably, I'm not saying that this is going to happen, but I would probably lean towards Charlie Dickey. And it's not just because of the offensive line's performance. Cause I know injuries are a part. He's, you know, 34 years into his coaching career. It may just be time for a switch up. You know, we talked about the recruiting side of things, Every other coach, though, in their press conferences, not even being asked, 
praises Charlie Dickey, saying he's one of the most technically sound offensive line coaches. So I know he's a good coach. He just may be kind of outgrowing college football at this time, age-wise. So if you if you made me pick one, and I'm not saying I'm confident that's going to happen, that would probably be my pick. If if Dunn were to not be here anymore, I think it would be because he left for a different job. Yep. I don't think that Gundy is going to fire him after this season. I I, I agree with you. I think I think we've seen enough to where if the offensive line is good, th- things change for this team. And I, I I think we've we've beaten that horse. And I wonder, you know, as we should go through the rest of these questions, what else we got here? Here's one from Ryan. What's up, dudes? So I'm going to play the sad back-in-time game one more time. So if I took you back to the beginning of the season and I told you you could have uh, one of these two sets, so you could have Devin Harper and Malcolm Rodriguez back, or you could have Danny Godleski, Josh Sills, and Jalen Warren. Oh. Which set of players would you want for this team to uh, have this season turn out better than it did? Ryan, that's a phenomenal question. It's such a good question. I think with this team, if you had Warren, Sills, and Godlewski, and you're telling me that they're going to stay healthy the entire year, with with this Spencer Sanders, with this wide receiving core, and with this defense, I think that team has a shot to win the Big 12. If you add Malcolm and Devin, I think your defense becomes one of the best, if not the best defenses in the Big 12 but with the same situation on the offensive line and the running backs, the injuries and just the inconsistency of production, I'm not sure if it's a Big 12 championship team, even adding two of the best linebackers in the Gundy era. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you because I think an explosive offense in this conference this year wins you more games than an elite defense wins you. Um, I, I I just think, especially if you consider what Oklahoma State's offense has been over the last several weeks, it has been rendered inept. And that offense is not winning you many games, even with last year's defense. I mean, you look at you look at the game in Manhattan and Lawrence, they're not winning that game, either of those, with that defense from last year. I, I don't believe that. If you have Etienne, Woodard, Sills, Godlevsky, and then you can move Preston Wilson back to right tackle, which he played last season. And you have Brooks as your swing guard. That's a good off. That's a really good offensive line. I oh, no question. No question. And then you have Jake Springfield as your swing tackle. Yeah. Well, we're dreaming right now, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love that Ryan always gives gives us some great questions. So Ryan, thanks for that. Appreciate yeah. that one. Thank you, Ryan. All right, here's another one. Another Ryan is Salih Feveliki. And Solomon Wright's still on the roster. Uh, Xavier Benson's participating in senior day. Is he coming back next year? Um, also, any other guys that are redshirting um, JUCO or transfer that you know of that you think are going to get a significant playing time next year? Okay, before, okay, before we do that one, I wanted to shout out uh, a question we got on Twitter that's very similar. Perfect. Um, from OK State seven and four, three and two. It is at conservative poke. He said, "How many super seniors do y'all expect back next year?" Thanks, fellas. Mm. So I wanted to shout him out because it's a very similar question. And then uh, John Wayne at Mister underscore Wayne nineteen sixty four said, "Who would be the player you would hate to see hit the transfer portal the most and leave the biggest hole?" 
it's just to get you guys take on this. Thanks. I think we can hit all three of these kind of at once. If you're okay with that. Yeah. I love it. So let me read through the super seniors real quick. I've got them pulled up. The super seniors, the guys that cannot come back. Braden Johnson, Brock Martin, Matt Hembro, CJ Tate, Tyron Irby, Brendan Evers, Sione Asi, and our guy who had another made field goal, Tanner Brown. Uh, Vance Hooper also, but he's walk-on. haven't seen him very much. So the guys that can come back that are seniors, Spencer Sanders, Lamont Bishop, Kanine Williams, and I- I'm going to skip the walk-on, Shawn Michael Flanagan, Alex Hale, JT, Samuela, Kopinski, Woodard, Lacey, Cassidy, Latou, Harper, Rucker. So those are the guys that can come back. Out of those guys, Cade, based on my own thoughts and what Mike Gundy has said in pressers and then even in a recent in his most recent radio show, I think Kanayan, Shawn Michael Flanagan, JT, Samuela, Kapinski, Woodard, and Lacey are gone. Any issues with any of those guys? No. Do you think any of those? Woodard, I could see Woodard maybe coming back. I don't see any of the other guys coming back. Yeah, I mean, you you start going down the list. I don't see a chance that Tyler Lacey comes back. I think he's NFL bound. He's put enough on tape. I, I'm with you. I, I don't see anybody on that list that maybe is like... Samuela. Yeah, I mean... I guess I could see a, you know, a, a Jason Taylor, um, but I mean, it feels like he's going to go just make a practice squad. So, um, yeah, I don't see any I mean, other. He may be an all first team defensive, all big 12 defensive back. Right, right. He might get drafted. He could certainly get drafted. I probably shouldn't have undersold that. I don't see a way he comes back either. So, no, I, I don't disagree with you. And Shawn Michael, he's. I don't even understand how he has an extra year. I think that may be wrong. I think he just doesn't have the asterisk by his name. He's, on he's the been roster. there since Brandon Whedon was on the team. Oh. And then Kanayan has had so many injuries. Kapinski's, you know, walk on, but he's been around forever. I don't even know. Like, he'd probably have to get like a second graduate degree, I think. So that would mean the guys returning would be Spencer Sanders, Bishop, Alex Hale, which. I know we don't talk special teams, but if Hale coming back would be big time because yeah. he was the starting kicker before he got injured last year against OU. Cassidy, Latu, Harper, and Rucker. Those are the guys that I think are coming back. Those are guys that I haven't heard mentioned participating in everything on senior day. They may still, but Gundy did not list those guys. Any issues with any of those guys besides the obvious Spencer Sanders? No. Um, one question mark would be, Trey Rucker. I mean, he he's basically sight unseen at this point. Um, you know, he's played some special teams, has played in, you know, some kind of um, not mop-up duty, but definitely some garbage time minutes. And outside of that, we haven't seen him hardly at all. So uh, not a guy I would be banking on any significant production from. So no, no, no questions for me on that. But um, it's it's interesting to think about what this team looks like without some of those guys. Lacey and Spencer really being probably the more impactful, but I mean, JT as well. I mean, it, it, it could get a little interesting. And if you're just go back to the initial questions we got, uh, Saletti, I think we mentioned this in the off. We did. He is, we did. He's not on the roster. Yeah. We, I don't I know what remember. happened. I, I know. I think we had some info on it. 
I'd have to go look back at my notes from one of those off-season pods right before the season, but he's not on the roster. And then um, the other question was, who would you hate to see leave in the transfer portal? Oh. Like big loss. Anybody on the offensive line? Well, I think Cole Birmingham, yeah. Cole Birmingham would be a big one. You know, Richard can leave and maybe try to go pro, so I'm not going to count that because – it seems like he's probably not coming back based on what Gundy was saying. I would probably go Cole Birmingham if he left. I think he's going to come back and instantly be the best lineman on this offensive line. You know, Spencer Sanders is obviously one on the defense. Colin Oliver, Kendall Daniels, Mason Cobb. You know, pretty much are any of the best players. A guy I guess I could see transferring, though, out of those would be a Cole Birmingham who set out this year with injury. Like we said, the offensive line, it sounds like there's some things behind closed doors that maybe aren't, you know, not everybody is seeing eye to eye. If he left, that would be huge. But if I was going to pick somebody, maybe him, but I, ha- I haven't heard anything. I would just, that that's one that seems realistic. That would be a huge blow. Yeah. Any of those guys you listed would be uh, not good at all. So uh, you got to keep the guys you recruited in house. So no, no question. That's a, a scary thought, but it's certainly something we'll be talking about as, as the offseason rolls in um, and the, uh, you know, ultimately it becomes a roster question. So, all right, Dustin, last question here. Hello there. Feels like what about podcast sports fans? This is your three and six man with the million dollar plan. Who keeps forgetting to call in and he's ready for the offseason. Listen, I apologize. Been working. I've been busy and I keep forgetting, but hey, Everyone works. Everyone's busy. No excuses. However, this past month and a half, I've worked every single second of every single day. And you ask for what? For who? Not for me, not for my family, not for friends, not for future children, but for you, for you, the fans, and for this football program, because I can't take it anymore. I've seen what T. Boone Pickens, with my own eyes, I've seen what that one man can do. RIP, the grace to ever do it. I've seen what he can do for this program for this university, I'm taking it upon myself that I will not sleep another second until I am that successful. I can be that next T Boone Pickens moving into this NIL era. Hold on, Dustin. He's not done. And if I can't become that second T Boone Pickens, then I'm going to die trying. I can promise you that. And then once I'm dead, you can laugh at me. You can spit on my grave. You can thank the Lord that I don't, I'm not able to call into this podcast, whatever. But really, the only reason I want to become successful and wealthy in this world is for Oklahoma State football. Because Oklahoma State fans, they deserve to win 50% of Bedlam games. They deserve to win Big 12 championships. Heck, they deserve to make college football playoffs. They deserve to win a second national championship. They deserve to know what 1945 felt like. And I'm not talking about the war, but I'm talking about a national championship. We deserve that. We deserve that. It's time. I don't have picks this week. No picks. It'd be a loser anyways. But I hope everyone has a great uh, what we uh, Thanksgiving. That's the holiday. And a great time watching the Up, Up, and Away Hot Air Balloon Bowl. I will see you next year. I love all of y'all. <laughs> wow. There he is. He left I'll on be, a high uh, note. I'll thank him in person on Thanksgiving Eve tomorrow night i'll be with him so i'll 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 definitely thank him for that beauty of a voicemail that's always a great day a great day you guys have fun um i was gonna say 
we got to start charging Fuller some ad space for that type yeah. of read. That's two minutes of airtime. <laughs> He's basically a guest on this episode. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, I wanted to shout. I wanted to shout up uh, at Will Phillips, at Brian J Metcalf, at Garth underscore Still. Asked us some questions that we kind of hit um, within the podcast, but we didn't have time to kind of read them all out here. Shout out to those guys. We've been trying to, well, we're obviously going to be able to get back into the Twitter questions. We got back into some this week with football ending. We'll have some more time here. So keep sending those in. We'll be heavy questions going forward without the preview reviews. So we'll be talking basketball, like I said, recruiting and your questions. So please keep sending them in. Thanks so much for the audio questions. They've been awesome. You guys uh, keep us thinking and you have similar questions to we do. Yeah, it's great. Well, I know this is the regular season is not over, but it's fixing to be. And uh, Dustin, I wanted to say uh, it's been a blast with you again, breaking down Oklahoma state football, Uh, not the season we wanted, but um, to the listener, I hope you guys have enjoyed. Uh, this is, uh, you know, I, we we still enjoy it, but the the level of analysis that Dustin goes to to bring you this every week, I just uh, I want to say thanks for another great football season. You've killed it. Um, you've thanks. You've lifted this podcast up, um, and I appreciate it and uh, love getting to do it with you. So, if you're not already, keep it locked with us on Twitter and Instagram. It feels like. 45 pod you can follow dustin at Dustragu, and you can follow me at cade webb thank you again for a phenomenal football season we're excited to keep it locked with you during basketball wrestling golf baseball softball and football basketball recruiting all the other stuff and it's going to be football season before we know it again and uh, let's just get a win on saturday let's feel good going into uh the poolan weed eater bowl uh, or something like it <laughs> Thanks so much, Cade, and thanks everybody for sending the questions. We had a we had a fun ride. Be West Virginia, go Pokes, and everybody have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you back here next week.